past several weeks, God, we've just been looking at your word and been finding out that we are powerless in this world, but you have all power. And so once again, God, we just ask that you open our eyes, that when we leave this place, we would be just a little bit different because we've encountered a resurrected Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. If you look on your listening guides, 1 Corinthians 10:12 says, If you think you are standing firm, you had better be careful that you do not fall. What we're going to be talking about today is living for God one day at a time. When we think everything's going okay, that's when we get nailed. That's when we fall. You know, we've been doing this whole series, Life Hurts, God Heals. And we're trying to find out how to climb out of our pain, how to deal with the stuff in our lives. We say that everybody goes through pain. Um, and, and you're going to face it, and that time does not heal all wounds. If, if you have not been healed from the pain in your past, then that wound is going to fester, and it's going to come out, and it's going to hurt marriages, it's going to hurt families, it's going to hurt you at work, it's going to hurt you sometime, and so you've got to learn how to deal with it. If you're not experiencing pain right now, you are going to. It'll be right around the corner, so we need to learn how to deal with it. Last week, we looked at step six, and that's at the top of your listening guide there, and that was ask for forgiveness. And some of you, quite honestly, did not want to do this step. There's people, it's too fresh, you've just been hurt, and you don't want to ask for forgiveness, or you don't want to forgive somebody that's hurt you, um, but that's what you have to do. If you took this step, then you are right next to the mountaintop. You are almost free from your pain. If you haven't taken the step, you will never get to the top of where God wants you to be. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life that more abundantly. You will not experience the abundant life if you don't go through step six. Well, today, step seven, we want to talk about how you keep your momentum. How do you stay on top of the mountain and not fall and not crash? And the key is, is this step seven. It's called the maintenance step. And it says, live for God one day at a time. Maintenance is the key. Now, when I was in high school, I was a sprinter, um, started in junior high, and, and I actually tried out for the long distance team when I was in seventh grade. First day, went home, puked my guts out and told my mom, I am never running long distance again. She actually called my coach the next day and said, he wants to run sprints. And I was a sprinter ever since. I ran the 200, I ran the, the 4 by 100 relay, occasionally I ran the uh, 4 by 400 relay. And to be honest with you, the 4 by 400, I didn't like because a whole lap around the track, that was too much for me. I want to be able to start my, and stop my sprint very quickly. I want to see the, the end line. And, and so I never liked those long distances. But let's say that one of my friends comes to me and says, I want to run a marathon. First of all, I'm going to say, you're insane. But then if he says, no, I need you to be my partner. I just, I just need to do a quick um, um, quiz here. Let's, let's see, a poll here. How many of you think that I could run a marathon right now? Just walk out that door and run 26 miles. How many of you think I could do that? Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Now, what if I tried really, really, really hard to run a marathon? How many of you think I could do it? Oh, thank you. Some of you are giving me just a little bit of credit here. Now, what we're going to look at today is the difference in trying versus training. If I were to go into training for a marathon, six, eight months, maybe a year down the, the road, if I were consistent in my training, sure, I could go run a marathon. Not quickly, not win a marathon, but I could run a marathon. We're going to look at the difference in trying versus training. So this guy comes to me and he says, let's run a marathon. Now, you've got to understand, the newspaper says that Loop 256 is 10.4 miles. 
We're going to go two and a half times around the loop. And uh, some of you realize that I couldn't do that. But just for fun, we staged a race and uh, we wanted to show you just a little bit of footage of us trying to run this marathon. successful I would be running a marathon. We actually didn't stage the tricycle braking. That was real. Wes fallen. I kicked him in the head. Wes is having trouble um, walking today. He was getting physical therapy over here before he could stand up and play the bass this morning. Um, now, let's just say that on this, uh, on this marathon that I'm going to run, that I'm not going to run, but you're using your imaginations, that I start off like a sprinter. And I take off running and maybe, I don't think I could make it 400 yards, but maybe I make it 100 yards. I actually ran that with some of our soccer team the other day. I could run 100 yards. I sprint 100 yards. I'm going to have this great lead, but then if I step off to the side, is anybody going to stop the race and give me a trophy for winning the first 100 yards? Woohoo! Not when there's 26 miles to go. They're going to think I'm an idiot and my son is going to say, loser, once again. Um, because nobody is going to stop the race and give you a prize for winning the first 100 yards. Life is like that. Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. People don't care how you start. They care how you finish. And so my question to you is, how are you going to finish your life? I tell teenagers, I tell folks in counseling all the time, I don't care what's in your past. God is not so interested in, in what's in your past except to deal with it and give you the power to face the future. So how is your life going to turn out? You have the choice to make. 
God cares about that too. Sprinting is easy. You see the finish line. Marathon, I was reading about a guy who, this is, this is how sad it is. I have to read about marathons because I wouldn't know. But he said there was a guy supposed to meet him at the 10th mile. One of his friends was going to meet him at the 10th mile. And so he, this is the first ever marathon he ran. It was in Chicago. He gets to the 10th mile, looks around and doesn't see his friend. And he goes into this deep depression, he said, for the next 10 miles. He said he can't think of anything. His mind is just in a fog. His body is hurting. And he said at the 20th mile, he sees his friend show up and, and he apologizes. He said because of the traffic jam around the, the uh, course, he couldn't get to him. And so this friend, this is a friend now, this friend in blue jeans, you know, not in good running shoes, all of that stuff, runs with him the last six miles of the race. And he said it made all the difference in the world because I had somebody to help me out, somebody to do it with me. Life is a marathon. Living for God is a distance run. Well, with that in mind, let's talk about what happens that causes us to fall off the mountain. What, what causes us to relapse? Let's consider those things first, and then we'll learn how to maintain this top of the mountain experience that God has brought us to. First thing, what happens that leads us to relapse? First thing is we become comfortable. When we're removed from pain for a while, it makes us think that we can do things on our own, that we have the power to deal with this pain on our own. If you remember all the way back to week one, week one, the short thing was I'm powerless to handle the hurts, habits and hang ups in my life. Week two was there is a power and he's not just some higher power. His name is Jesus Christ. He's raised from the dead. And week three is I turn all of my life over to that higher power. That's how I begin to start healing from it. Um, and so I, step one is I just admit that I can't do it. But we have this temptation to bring it back. Once we, once we have a little bit of healing, we think, oh, things are going pretty well. I want to take my life back. I've given it to God. God, I can handle it now. I don't need you anymore. Look what the Bible has to say about that. Galatians 3.3 3 says, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? The Bible tells us you can't do it. So there's no reason even trying. We can't do it. When we become comfortable, we're living with the mentality that I can handle my life. And that's it's a short step to failure. Step one is I admit I can't. Step seven is I admit every day that I can't do it. It's the maintenance step. Now, I've got to trust God. The second thing we do that causes us that leads us towards relapse is we become confused. We become confused in our minds and we forget how bad the pain was. You forget, you start thinking, oh, it wasn't so bad before living with that pain. That's why we go back to horrible relationships that we shouldn't have been in in the first place. That's why we go back to doing dumb things. We get away from the pain for a little while and we start to say, oh, this wasn't so bad. We forget, we get confused, we start living the world's way. Maybe with something like partying or drugs or, or maybe it's uh, um, cheap sex or something like that. You start getting confused in your mind and you say, oh, it wasn't so bad in the old days. And you go back to that. Then the third thing is, the third step to relapse is you start to compromise. This is where you really start flirting with the old temptations, the old relationships, the old lifestyle or your mindset. If you had quit going to bars or quit going to parties or whatever, this is where you would start going back. But you don't drink. You're just going there to socialize. Actually, what you're doing is rationalizing and you are getting real close to falling off the edge. The alcoholic goes to the bar. He says, I'm just going to eat some peanuts. Well, how dumb is that? You are getting right close to falling off the edge again. You're compromising. The fourth thing is you relapse. That's when you act out in ways that bring pain. You act out in the same kind of ways that initially brought pain in your life. And all of a sudden you relapse and and God is going to let you relapse and relapse and relapse until you realize you can't do it on your own. He'll let you fall a hundred times, 200 times, 300 times until you finally give up and say, God, I can't 
do it. And God says, yes. And that's exactly where I want you, because then I'm going to start to work in your life when you realize that. And then number five is you collapse. That's where you actually give into that old habit, that old hurt. The resentment comes back. The pain comes back. The hate comes back. The old hang up. And you got to understand that the collapse didn't happen right here at step five. The collapse didn't happen even at step four. The real tragedy is the collapse happens all the way back at the first when you become comfortable, when you become confused. You start this cycle. The inevitable result of following this cycle is you will be right back in the big fat middle of the same mess you were in when you started the whole process. And guess what? When you're at the bottom, what do you have to do? You've got to start all over again with step one. And you have to start climbing back up that mountain. And it's so hard to do. It seems to me that it would be wiser to stay on top of the mountain. I heard a guy say one time, this, this has always stuck with me. He said, it's wise to learn from your pain. It's wiser still to learn from the pain of others. Spread it around. You don't have to make all of the mistakes yourself. Let somebody else experience some pain. Learn from their pain. That's a wise person. If you learn from your experiences, let's stay on top of the mountain. Um, now, in order to avoid this relapse, you've got to have some support systems in your life. Because of denial, you often can't see your own problems. So we need each other to serve as mirrors. That's the value of the testimonies. We've had five testimonies so far in this series. When someone shares their testimony, I see a little bit of myself in them. And I would not have seen that had they not stood up, had the courage to share those things with the group. And then when I share my testimony, I shared part of mine last week. Some of you see uh, yourself in my testimony and you start to say, wow, I can understand. I can relate to that. Maybe I didn't even realize I had a problem there, but that's something that I'm dealing with as well. And see, when you share your testimony, it brings healing to your life and it brings hope to someone else's life. That's why God created the church was so that we're to come together and experience life together and grow towards Christ likeness together. You, you can use all the excuses. Oh, yeah, I can worship God out on the boat. Sure you can, but I don't think you do. You're fishing, you're drinking, you're doing something out on that boat. You're not thinking about God. Most of the time when you come in here, at least some point you're going to have an experience with God. And you're going to get to know some other people. If you'll get involved in this church, in some of our programs, then you'll get to know people and you'll connect and God will help you grow through other people. Now, we said this over and over, but you are only as sick as your secrets. Satan wants you to keep your pain in the past. He wants to keep it hidden. That way he has power over you. But as soon as you verbalize those in a group of loving, caring people who will not run their mouths about it, that's you got to be careful about who you talk about. I'm not going to get you to get up here and tell your deepest, darkest secrets. But if you come to celebrate recovery tonight, you may get in a small group and there may be a time in the weeks ahead that you just feel compelled to share that. That group will not go outside of this room and talk about it. If they do, they will be uh, confronted by the church because we will not put up with that. You've got to be able to share your hurt and that's how you get healing. Now, there is a way out of this trap and it's, it's contained in the Bible. Zechariah 4, 6. Um, this isn't on your guide. Listen to this. Not by might, nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You will succeed because of my spirit. Oprah always has this section on this, this segment where she says, remember your spirit. And, and she's always talking about how you're supposed to take care of your spirit and admire your spirit and honor your spirit. Well, I, I just want to tell you something. That's okay to a point, but your spirit has no power. <laughs> this is a capital S. 
This is God's Holy Spirit that He offers only to those who are followers of His. He says, I alone have the power to help you succeed in life. And if you'll tap into that power, you will succeed in ways you never imagined. And you will experience healing that you never imagined. But it's my spirit is what Zechariah says. Step seven, the maintenance step. Here it is. You have this on your listening guide. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and gain the power to do it. I want you to circle those words. Gain the power to do it. This is what we're talking about in step seven. If you want the power to experience healing from your hurt, your habit, and your hang up, this is it right here. Here's the key. You've got to schedule some time every day with God. Because if you don't schedule it, what's going to happen? You're going to get too busy. Busyness stifles recovery and growth. Busyness stifles relationships. Busyness has hurt more marriages than, than adultery or drug addiction or anything like that. Busyness stifles recovery. And this is based on Mark 14, 38. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Well, how can we live for God one day at a time? Um, how are you going to be able to do these things every day? Well, there are certain things that you already do every day, right? When you get up in the morning, most of you brush your teeth. Some, some may forget to brush their teeth. I don't think so. <laughs> you get up every day, you put your clothes on before you walk outside. Anybody ever forgot to wear your clothes to work? Maybe you only did it once. Um, and your friends are sure to point that out to you You're, if you keep the job, you know, that type of thing. They may not want. Don't even imagine those images. I'm sorry for even bringing that up. <laughs> How many of you forget to sleep? We don't forget to sleep. Those are things we do every day. And what we're saying is, if you will put these things in your life, these practices in your life every day, make them a habit. It takes about 30 days to develop a habit. Just plan on every day doing it for 30 days, and then it becomes second nature. If you'll do these things, God will give you power over your past. First thing you do is you trust God's love every day. Trust God's love every day. Trust that God loves you. It's this mental place where you say, God, I trust you, and I trust that you love me every day. Look at Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talked about how when you think a thought in your mind, whether it's positive or negative, these electrical impulses go across your mind. You think a thought long enough, whether it's positive or negative, you are going to start to believe that thought is true. And a lot of lies have been told to you in your life. Satan has whispered lies in your life. And if you think those things like you're worthless, if you think those things like you cannot overcome your past, those are negative thoughts. But you think them long enough, they become this Grand Canyon crevice in your mind that you cannot get over. And the only way to overcome that then is to take the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Truth is a person. Not some concept that you have to discover. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ said, nothing can separate you from his love. You may need to tape this on your mirror. Don't tape it on your rearview mirror. It's too long and you're going to wreck if you try to read it there. But tape it on your mirror where you get up every day and you do those habits. Ladies, when you put on your makeup, Janie, a lot of times will have things on the mirror. I put things on the mirror to remind me that nothing can separate me from God's love. That is a truth that I need to have in my mind first thing in the morning and last thing before I close my eyes at night. Develop that truth. That's the first step. Second step is you trust that God wants to meet you every day. 
He wants to meet you every day. It's a mindset. Again, look at uh, Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. Another translation that I memorized years ago says, cease striving and know that I'm God. You know, when your little kids are messing around, and you're trying to talk to them. And you're like, stop it. Be still. Now, I almost imagine God saying that to me sometimes. Chill out, dude. You cannot hear me if you've got the TV on and you're playing some DVD and you're reading your newspaper. You know, chill out for a little bit. And then you'll know that I'm God. This actually has two parts to it. The first part is a personal relationship. I say this all the time. What we're talking about is not religion. We're talking about a relationship with a risen Jesus Christ, a powerful Jesus Christ. He is not in his grave. Other religious leaders are in their graves from other uh, other world religions. Jesus Christ is the only grave that we celebrate an empty grave. So we celebrate when we when we're talking about getting to know him and meet him. We're talking about meeting someone who's alive. We're not just talking about the memory of him like you do in other religions. We're talking about someone who conquered death. That's the type of person I want to hang out with. I don't know what's on the other side of the grave. Jesus does. So it makes no sense to me to follow a dead guy. I want to follow a live guy and I want to meet with him on a daily basis. And so this relationship thing, see, it doesn't matter what religion you serve. If you don't have the relationship part down, it, it, it just does not matter. It, it doesn't matter how many candles you light or how many happy hops you recite on your way to heaven. It doesn't matter how many prayers you know all of the words to. Those things do not matter if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion is dead. Relationship is alive. The truth is, you are as close to God as you choose to be. Becoming intimate with Jesus Christ is a choice that you make. It is not an accident that happens. You don't stumble into it. Do you get close to a friend by accident? No, you spend time with them. You cannot get close to another person without hanging out with them, listening to them, sharing your dreams, sharing good times, sharing bad times. You've got to have time to do that. Busyness ruins relationships. Busyness ruins your relationship with God as well. So the first part is you've got to realize it's a relationship. The second part you have to realize is that you've got to do some personal evaluation. The unexamined life is not worth living. Did you chew on that a second? The unexamined life is not worth living. When you come to God, part of it is you have to look at yourself. You've got to be real. If you try to pretend with God, it's like play acting, you know, with a mask, but somebody who can see behind the mask. You ever tried to, you know, be silly with your kids and you act like you're someone else and you're like, Dad, I know it's you. Well, God knows the real you. So why are you trying to pretend in front of him? Ask yourself some questions. What good have I done today? Where have I blown it? What kindness did I show? Who did I hurt? These aren't magic questions. They're actually taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I went to a time management conference years ago, and one of the things they told us there, it stuck in my mind, it makes sense is, she said, you don't need to write down the negative experiences in your life near as much as you need to write down the positive experiences. And I thought, well, that's kind of dumb. And she said, no, I want you to think back last year. What's the worst thing that happened to you last year? Immediately something popped into my mind. She said, exactly. You remember the bad stuff. You tend to forget the good stuff. So she said, every day, think of some good things that happened in your life. So you start journaling, write it down. You're not going to remember it. I used to remember stuff all the time. Now I have to use my 10-year-old son. When I was his age, mom would tell me stuff, and I'd remember for weeks. And so I, I guess there's just not so much garbage in there. That's the thing. So I'll tell Caleb, Caleb, remember, dude, i got to do this. And he does, man. He reminds me all the time. I say, I used to have a memory like that. Now it's got too much junk in there. 
But write down the good stuff. Talk about your love. Talk about your joy. Talk about your peace and what robs you of peace. Talk about the good things. When you're writing this stuff down, evaluate yourself before God. And then God can make some progress in your life. Be honest. The third thing is trust that God wants to grow you. Every day, God wants to grow you up a little bit more. 1 Peter 2.2 says, You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. we got to have food. We did a a series this summer called um, The Table where we said the church is the table where the hungry come to get fed. You have got to have spiritual nourishment or you will shrivel and die. And that's why a lot of people who who use the excuse that they're going to worship God out on on the lake, that's why their souls are shriveling up and they're dying because they don't have fellowship with God and they don't have fellowship with other people. There are over 50 commands in the New Testament that you cannot obey if you're not part of a local church. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, then I'll reveal myself to you. So if you're not involved in a local church, there's 50 commands you can't obey. God's not going to reveal himself to you. Sorry, it just doesn't work that way. God wants to grow you. He wants to give you food. And at New Life, we're committed to helping you find the next step in your relationship, the next step for you to grow in your life towards God. Some of you have not ever given your life to God. You've never stepped across the line of faith. You never said, I want to be a part of God's family. The way we say that around here is we say you've got to ask God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Real simple. Romans 10, 13 says, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of you need to call on the name of the Lord. You need to step into God's family. That would be your next step. You can't grow towards Christ's likeness till you're a part of his family. Some of you need to be baptized. We've got a sheet at the back. We're going to have a baptism um, ceremony in, in a few weeks. Um, one, one of our sponsored churches, we're going to go over and have a big party at their church, and we're going to baptize folks. I think there's four or five names back there. I know at least eight or nine of you that need to be baptized. That would be a next step. That's a command of Scripture. It does not save you. It's, it's, um, it identifies you as having already been saved, as, as already being in God's family. And so if you want to be baptized, put it back there. We'll have a, a meeting before that. We'll talk about it, make sure everybody understands what baptism is. That would be a next step. If you're not in a small group, that would be a great place. We've got five small groups that are, that are meeting right now. You can see on the back of your listening guide, they're, they're listed. Some of them that are meeting in the next week. Small group is the place where life change happens. I, I have loved getting to know my small group. This new one, we've only been meeting uh, a few weeks but already they are becoming my family. And I look forward to my small group meets next Sunday. I look forward to those times where we hang out together and we pray together. And we just laugh and do life together. It's a blast. If you're not involved in that, you're missing out. That could be a next step. A next step might be class 101, which is discovering church membership. Got a sheet back there for that. In the last six months, I think we've had over 30 people go through class 101. Um, and so if you want to anything you want to learn about the church, you don't even have to join the church. If you go through the class, we just tell you all about the class, uh, about the church, what we're uh, intending to do, what we believe about Scripture, what we're doing, why we do things the way we do. And then we ask you if you are interested, if you believe God is leading you to be a part of this church, you sign a membership covenant. We have class 201 coming up in, in about two weeks. That is discovering spiritual maturity. And by the way, these classes uh, are successive. You need to go through 101 before you go through 201. You want to need to go through 201 before you go through 301. If you think of a baseball diamond, we are trying to move people around the bases because in a baseball game, you do not get credit for people left on base. Although my son, when he was four, thought it was really cool if he just made contact with the ball. That is not how you win baseball games. You don't get credit for people left on base. So we believe we've got to move people around the bases, help you mature and grow up in Christ. So that could be a next step. Uh, if you... 
If you've done all of those things, then the next step, guess what, is to serve. There are at least 10 adults every Sunday downstairs with today, 42 children, 42 kids are downstairs um, in our children's ministry, and they are just having a blast. They're learning about Christ. Every Sunday night, I talk to my family about that, my kids. I say, what did you learn today? And they tell me the verse they learned. They have a blast down in, in uh, G-Force. And, and we have ten folks that, that give of their time because they know how valuable you are. And they also know how valuable your children are. Maybe it's time to get off of your backside and serve. And we're going to do Class 301 in January, which is Discovering My Ministry. And uh, class three, don't wait till then, though, to serve. We got trash cans that need to be empty. We got toilets that need to be cleaned. We got all kinds of stuff that needs to happen already. Don't wait till January to, to find your service. Get involved now. Some folks you see every other week because what they do is they rotate. One week they'll work downstairs. One week they'll work upstairs. So there are all kinds of opportunities for you to do to serve. And the last thing I would just want to point out is A next step might be to reach out to others. You would not have to think long to think about people that are experiencing pain that you know. Someone that's going through an addiction. Someone whose marriage is falling apart. They're dealing with teenagers that have lost their minds. Something happens, you know, when all of those hormones kick in. They really do lose their minds. No offense, teenagers. We've got several teenagers here. I love you. Worked with teenagers for 19 years. But there are some things that are not logical until you hit about 25. And then it kicks back in there. Um... (laughs) So you could think about people like that. You could think about people who are dead end jobs. You know two or three names. Maybe a next step for you is God wants you to reach out to that person and start bringing them to church. I was talking to a couple of guys at the back, David and Jeremiah, a while ago, and I said, you know, the best way that our church grows is somebody in the church says, hey, man, come check this out. Go back to the table series. We said, if you go to a good restaurant, you tell your friends, you got to come check this out. If you all, if this group goes out and says to one person, you've got to come with me, come check this out. We double in size in one week. It can happen. But you've got to be willing to reach out to people that are hurt. God doesn't grow you up just for you. God doesn't bring you healing just for you. God brings you healing so that you can reach out to someone else who needs healing. That's the whole purpose of it. Some of you need to come to celebrate recovery tonight. We're kicking it off tonight, right here in this room, 6.30. And by the way, Jeff's already talked about he's going to do a survey with people. And and if 6.30 is not the best time for us to do that on Sunday nights, then we can adjust the time. That's not a big deal. Come once, hear about it, and and then you you can give him some input about what's going on. We want as many people as possible. I went by the probation office on Friday, took them a flyer and said, this is what's going on at our church. Send your folks over there. And they said, would you be willing to write down, you know, because some of them have to go through a 12 step uh, program. I said, of course, we would sign off that they were there. And they said, now you got to understand some, some of these folks don't want to go to a church for a 12 step program. And I said, let me tell you a little about our church. <laughs> I said, we're not, we're not a normal church in that we are very relaxed um, if you come to our church, I was just kind of giving her the lowdown. I said, tell them to try it one time. If they don't like it, they don't have to come anymore. But I think they'll like it. So you reach out to people that are hurting. That's why God wants you to do those things. The cool thing about Christianity, the reason it never becomes boring is because there's always a next step for you. God always wants to grow. You always wants to teach you something. And so there's a next step. The fourth thing is trust God's progress and be thankful. Trust God's God's progress and be thankful. 
You've got to trust that God's working in you, that He's making some progress, that He's not going to leave you alone, and that He's already brought you a great distance. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't, even, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Just look around and be thankful for what God has done in your life. Be thankful for how far He's brought you. I know some of you. I know your stories. And God has done some incredible things in six months. Six months ago, you would not have believed, believed that you could be clean today. Six months ago, you would not believe. I see you nodding your head, Jason. You would not believe that God could do some things in your life that He has done. You look back and you say, man, God has brought me a long ways, but He's not finished with me yet. Psalm 107.15 says, you should praise the Lord for His love and for the wonderful things He does for all of us. God is doing a work and He's brought you a tremendous distance, but some of you can't see it. When you were a kid, you remember growing. You don't remember actually seeing your physical growth, right? I mean, I don't care if you get up and look in the mirror every day. You can't tell whether you've grown or not. If somebody hadn't seen you in a long time, what is the first thing we say to kids? Oh, my soul, how much you've grown. It might have just been two weeks for some of them. They eat like that. And they grow just this unbelievable amount. You don't see it yourself until you look back and realize how small you were. I used to work out. I used to run. I used to work out. You know, used to do all those things. And I remember back in college, my roommate and I, we were, we were religious workout fanatics. Three, four times a week, we'd work out two hours, free weights, we'd do aerobics, we did all kinds of stuff. I would come home for Christmas and people go, man, you're huge. It doesn't matter where you started out. People that know you then and then they see you later, they look at you and they say, you've been working out, you've been lifting weights, you know, and you, of course you like that, so you stick your chest out a little bit further, you say, yeah, a little bit, you know, we've been working out a little bit. It's like that in the spiritual life as well. You don't see it yourself. But others see it in you when God begins to work in your life. And God is doing some stuff. You need to be thankful for what He's doing. I just want to tell you, it's not an accident that any of you are here today. God has called you. When I got up this morning, the first thing I did was I started praying. I said, God, draw some people that don't even know they need to be here. Draw some folks that have some pain in their life that they don't even know how to deal with. And begin to work in their life. And I just trust God that He's going to do that every week. That's what I've been praying. God, bring some hurting people that need to be healed that you need to do a work in. And that's what I'm praying for Celebrate Recovery as well. Is that God will bring some people there that don't even understand everything there is to know about God. But then in six months, we're going to look at their lives and we're going to say, No way. I knew you win. And they're going to say, I didn't think it could happen. We're going to say, that's our God. That's the way He works. He has power. And the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to those who are followers of His, those that are in His family, those who have called on the name of the Lord. The same power. Does anybody need resurrection power in your life today? You don't have to raise your hands. Because I know you do. There are marriages in this room that need to be resurrected. There are lives in this room that need to be resurrected. And the only way it's going to happen is if you say, God, I can't do it. I love it as a father when my kids, you know, they'll be stubborn. They'll be over there trying to do their own thing, doing it. And I'm thinking, if you just let me help you, we'll get this finished in 10 minutes instead of six hours. But they're stubborn. They've got to do it their own way. I love it when my kids say, Daddy, would you help me? I like that. And I think God does too. Would you just bow your heads for a minute? If you try to do things in your own power, you will fail. It's guaranteed. That's the way to pain. 
That's the way to humiliation. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to maintain where we've already come. And that's to live a life that's outside of pain. To live a life that is away from the destructive patterns. Those old habits. We want to give those up. So you've got to trust God in His power. You've got to trust God that He wants to meet you every day. That He loves you. That He's growing you. And that He wants to do some incredible things in your life. You've got to trust in God one day at a time. So I just want to ask you, if, if, if there's some stuff in your past that hurts, would you say these words to God? God, I need your help. And if you want to make it real personal, think, him, think of Him as your Heavenly Father and say, Dad, I just I can't do this on my own. Would you take my life, this mess that I've made of my life, And would you work something out for your glory, for your honor? God, I just thank you for bringing healing to people in this room. I thank you for bringing people here. Remind us that when we try to live life on our own power, it's a dead-end street. But you love us so much and you want to give us your power so that we can succeed in our lives. God, resurrect some marriages. Resurrect some lives today. Convince some folks even now, God, that Celebrate Recovery is where they need to be tonight. And I pray that when people step on the property tonight, they'll sense your power. Even if they don't recognize there's a God, they'll know spiritually something is going on. And they'll connect with you and they'll connect with other people and they'll begin a journey towards hope and towards healing. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.